good evening again. All right, Sam. <laughs> I wonder if tonight you had to think very hard about what you were going to wear to come here. Um, I've never been very good at working out what I should wear on, on, on occasions, and um, getting ordained has just made it more complicated. Do I wear a collar? Do I not wear a collar? Do I wear a suit and tie or not a suit and tie? Do I wear jeans and a jacket? Do I wear trainers? Do I wear... What do I wear? And it, it's hard, isn't it, sometimes to work out. I want to, you know, I don't want to look like a, a vic who's trying too hard to be trendy, but I don't want to look like a kind of monk who's sort of totally detached from the world. I remember one year, um, one, of, one of our first carol services, Graham and I, Graham who's the vicar there, and we decided to put on the same, we had a suit and tie on, we happened to have pretty much the same suit and tie on, and we sat at the front here, and someone commented to me afterwards, it looked like a bit of a cult in here, with you two <laughs> sitting in there. Obviously, it now gets even more complicated this time of year because of the whole Christmas jumper thing we have nowadays. So, um, you know, when do you wear your Christmas jumper? Is it on tonight? Is it not on tonight? Um, I've now got a second Christmas jumper, which means I have a choice to make between a kind of slightly more secular one and a more kind of Jesus-y one. <laughs> so it, it really is complicated. I was actually, I was taking a wedding here on, on, on Saturday. And what I I'd normally do at the rehearsal before a wedding is, is, is I asked the, the bride and groom, you know, would you prefer me to just be in a suit and collar or would you prefer me to be in robes? I, I really don't mind which you prefer. And, and, and it's just sort of generally a nice thing to do. The problem was this time, uh, the, the groom just said to me, could you please be in robes? And the bride said to me, please, can you be in a suit and collar? And um, it didn't look like either really wanted to change their minds. And I thought I was going to have the first argument before they'd even got married right here in front of me. But um, uh, wisely, the groom gave way and let the bride have her, have her way. <laughs> Of course, this whole kind of thing on the world stage becomes an even bigger deal. Um, I remember years ago, I used to work for the Commonwealth Business Council, and we were running an investment conference in, uh, in Nigeria, in the capital there, Abuja, and we had the president coming to the conference, and, and he turned up at this conference in, in his big motorcade, and, um, and, and just before he got to the hotel, uh, various kind of security guards, I didn't even know they were there, kind of popped out of the bushes and started running alongside the car. And, and some of them were even in trench coats and flat caps, and there was all manner of things going on. And then um, he pulled up at the red carpet, and they opened the door, and um, he was surrounded by bodyguards who then kind of marched him in and were pushing everyone out the way, including myself. And we were all just trying to get out the way, but it sort of looked very important to actually kind of push us as, as, as we were going through. I think they must have watched too many Hollywood films, you know, 35 degree heat, African in, in Nigeria wearing trench coats and flap caps is not really a great idea. But I guess the bottom line is, is, is how we turn up and what we wear communicates something about, about who we are and about our intentions. Now, I don't know if you're here tonight and thinking, and, and, and perhaps you don't believe in God, and, and I would just encourage you for this moment just to, to suspend that disbelief in God for one moment and think, if God did exist, how should he show up? What would be the best way to do that? Should he come in kind of all his power and glory? Or should he come discreetly, low-key? You know, if we took the first option, if he were to show up in all his power and glory, um, we, we would kind of have to believe him, wouldn't we? We'd have to believe he exists. He'd be right there in front of us. 
And we'd probably do exactly what he said because he was kind of right there in all his glory and he wouldn't feel like you had much choice. But the, the problem with it would be we might do what he said and we might believe he exists, but would we like him? Would it be possible to love him? Would we want to get anywhere near him? Or would he be like our boss or someone like that? I don't know who your boss is. Maybe they're lovely. (laughs) God must have been trying to do something, trying to communicate something more important when he chose not to come up in all his power and glory. He chose the low-key option. He chose to come as a baby, the most vulnerable you can be, totally dependent on others. He chose Mary. The Holy Spirit doesn't do accidental pregnancies. He chose Mary, and he chose to come at that moment in time. And he knew that Mary would have to travel to Bethlehem. He knew he would end up being born in a stable. And yeah, he did have a few people who showed up later to uh, declare a bit of who he was and how glorious he was, but it was all fairly low-key. He didn't say or do anything himself, as far as I know. It was probably just a few goo-goo-gaggers, like up there. Not much. We're kind of used to the story, but it's... (laughs) Sorry, did something I missed that. Um, we're, We're so used to that story, but it's really extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. What was God trying to communicate? And I think the heart of what God was trying to communicate and asking us is, will you love me? In coming in that lowliness and humility, he's saying, I want to be in a real relationship with you, where I love you and you love me. Not just to overawe you, not to order you around. And not for us just to kind of see what we can get out of him and go away. But will you enter into a real relationship with me? So he makes himself vulnerable. He makes himself weak. He comes so that whether we are rich and famous or poor and lowly, whoever we are, we can access him. He comes in accordance with his character, humble Gentle, patient, meek. John, who who lived with Jesus, who knew him face to face, wrote those words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I suppose if you want to sum up Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, if you want to sum up what God looks like, how he shows up, it is full of grace and full of truth. You know, early this morning, I found myself searching for the truth down there in the crypt. It was cold in here, the heating had broken, and I was searching for the truth of how do we fix these boilers and get them going by tonight, let alone the morning service. And by the grace of God, we found uh, the valve that was, uh, that was the thing that had gone wrong. The system needed repressurizing. We got that done, and 
Well, it's not boiling in here tonight, but it's a lot warmer than it could be. And so truth matters. It matters that we get to the truth. It's important. And you know, we live in an era which has been called a kind of post-truth era, where facts seem kind of less relevant. People can say things which are actually factually incorrect, and they seem to get away with it. It seems to be almost okay. Facts are treated like almost inferior second-class citizens, and rumors and sound bites abound. And in the midst of the kind of storm we're in the moment in our politics, there seems to be this search for truth. What's the best way to organize our society? What's the best way to live our lives? What's the purpose for our nation, for, for our individual lives? We need the truth. Because the truth sets us free. It sets us free from confusion. It brings clarity. It brings purpose. It brings peace. And Jesus, uh, John, who spent time with Jesus, looked at him and said, you are the truth. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus also came full of grace. Now, I hope some of you have friends and family here who are those kind of people who they will take delight in you no matter what you do, no matter how bigger mess you make and whatever happens in your life they will love you they will delight in you they will be for you that is grace and that's what gives us the strength to be better to live better lives to get over our mistakes to move forward and god is exactly the same with us he turns up full of grace he says i unconditionally love you And we see that supremely in Jesus on the cross with his arms wide open there saying, this is how much I love you. Come home. Live this life with me. You are loved. You might say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. What about now? How's God trying to connect with me now? How does that work? Because you know what? I think God is trying to connect with us now. In small ways, often discreet ways, often hidden ways, in accordance with the character we see in the birth of Jesus. He comes in these quiet ways. In 1986, a film came out called The Messiah. Some of you may have seen... uh, The Messiah? No. The Mission, <laughs> called The Mission. And um, that film uh, stars uh, Jeremy Irons as Gabriel, and he's the, he's the Jesuit priest trying to reach out to this remote Indian tribe. And uh, a few priests before him have been, have been killed trying to kind of share the message of, of Jesus with this tribe. And so, so Gabriel goes and he plays his oboe. And through the beauty of the music, the, the tribe accept him, and then he begins to gently explain uh, what Jesus has done and, and who he is. And um, many of you will know the film, and the film has got the most beautiful uh, music, and um, we're going to play uh, that piece, Gabriel's Oboe, in a minute. 1986 was also 
the year that my, my parents died. I was 11 years old. And nothing could make me cry following that event. I used to just bottle it up. Except when I saw this film and heard this music. It was just like something shifted in me. And it made me weep and, and has done uh, all of my life. After I, I, I left school, I, I didn't walk into, we had to go to school, uh, go to church at school, but after I left school, I didn't walk into a church again until my mid-twenties. And when I was 25, I thought, I've got to decide if this stuff that I kind of had felt, I think God might be around when I'd lost my parents, and, and, and I thought I'd connected with him, and that music was amazing, um, but I... I don't know. I need to sort it out. And I had a little Gideon's Bible at home and I thought, do I throw it in the bin or is it true? And so I ended up uh, going to a church in central London. And uh, I went there because someone told me about a course they run called Alpha, helping people to, to understand the Christian faith and to explore their faith. And I thought, I need to check out this church. So I went to the 9 a.m. morning service. It's the first time I'd walked into a church apart from a wedding or funeral for about seven years. And um, we had communion. It was a traditional service, 9 a.m. service. And during communion, the organist began to play that music from the mission, Gabriel's Oboe. And I, and I just began to weep. And I sensed God calling me back to himself in that moment. And I went on to go on that Alpha course at that church and and my, my faith really came alive. I connected with God. You know, God wants to reach out and connect with each one of us here. And don't ignore those moments where you feel that touch, when you have that moment of, of connection. Don't push it away, but press into it. Because God wants to connect with you. The question is, will we let him in? Because even here tonight, maybe even through the singing already, maybe through one of the readings, maybe as we play, as Becky plays for us, Gabriel's oboe in a minute, maybe you'll have that moment of connection. Maybe it'll be out in, in the park in a few weeks' time. I don't know what it is for you. But the truth is, he wants to have a relationship with you. And we know that because of the way he came at Christmas. He came in a way that he could connect with us, humbly, lowly, vulnerable. So let's pray now and ask him to come, and then Becky will play for us. Father, we thank that you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. And we don't just want to know in our heads that you are alive. We want to experience that in our hearts, that you are here and you are with us and you are for us. So we ask you to come through the remainder of this service. Come and touch our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.